0: I I love those words, I know we do, and probably like me, you love them because they're personal to you. I have a mug that I walk around with often, partly to keep my hands warm, (laughs) but partly because of two words that are imprinted on this mug, and um, I think I've told some of you this, maybe everyone, but it's what we just sang. Um, he is our awesome God, our mighty God, a mighty fortress God. And these two words say simply look up, just look up. What a sermon, what a statement. Um, I was thinking of somebody I've never met when we sang that song. Some of you knew that Martin Luther, the great reformer in 1517, Um, he went through things that I can't imagine going through. I don't think any of us can, but he fought against um, not flesh and blood, but, but devils. And he said very clearly and very accurately, God is our mighty fortress. If it was true then, it's true now, is it not? And I want you to take your seat for a moment. Kids, stay right here with us because we want you to do this too before you go to your group. And I want you to close your eyes and I want you to say, Holy Spirit, show me something that is big and scary that I'm facing right now. Big people and little people, would you do this right now? Just things that are on my heart. Big things scary things things that have me looking for a refuge now with those things on your mind would you would you just take a moment and look up literally open your eyes and look up and say god i give it to you And I thank you that you don't just take it and walk away. You come to me. And you're the refuge, the mighty fortress that I seek and need. Will you just leave it there right now and say, Lord, talk to my heart today. I want to leave here without a sense of the menacing presence of this thing I've given to you because I've looked up and I see you so we do that right now in faith we thank you for being the one that takes it all and stays here to take in all of this with us teach us now Holy Spirit we pray amen Kids, uh, go to class, talk in class about what you just did, okay? It was kind of fun and it was important, not just for grown-ups, but um, for you. And um, I uh, i want to say something that uh, I say it uh, whenever I can't be here and um, need somebody to... Uh, Step in for me. Um, this this time it was John Moore, and John is a uh, dear friend and a, a voice that we're familiar with and um, and very helpful. Uh, I I want to take a little credit that I didn't call him as late as I have called on occasions. Uh, I think. it, Would you say eleven o'clock was? Yeah, yeah. Are 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 you keeping score somehow? Did you how did you, how did you know it was eleven? <laughs> No, my crisis was, uh, it happened, you know, in that case. But sometimes I'm away because I'm away. But um, in this case, John, once again, thank you, brother. And uh, uh, we were with you, but we were very sick. And uh, hi, little Deb. She's almost uh, back. So uh, it, it hit us both and hit us both pretty hard. And um, I'm glad it's um, mostly over with. Uh, can I say that i am you're seeing a guy that's... Uh, Freshly considering um, an annual flu shot. How many of you take one? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Where have I been? But see, um, it's a new thing that comes with being 65. And uh, I get extra notes now from Medicare saying, get one, dude. You need this in bigger print so you can read it? <laughs> anyway, so I... um. <clears throat> I want to ask you a couple of questions that will help you lean into this conversation. Uh, we continue now this, this series, uh, What If Jesus Was Serious? And I'm inspired by it. I'm going to tell you a couple of times today <coughs> and in weeks to come, if we still have them, we may have to order more. But the book that I referred to, I have uh, in my hand, and there are less than 50 copies. we We ordered, and they arrived yesterday. And they're going to be available in the lobby, so uh, don't leave without one. What if Jesus was serious? Uh, Sky Jathani is the author, and he's a very Jesus-loving, Holy Spirit-filled. Just, just a great, solid guy. Solid guy. You're going to read. Uh, you're going to read some good things there. But um, so I want to talk today about just who Jesus blesses, because that alone is uh, implication. Filled. There's things there that um, should make us want to go, wait, okay, how does this work? So let me start with something that's familiar to us. So what would you do if you suddenly came into vast fortunes? Okay, now just think about that, uh, you know, maybe from the lottery. From the lottery, you won the lottery, right? Um, have you ever known somebody that won the lottery? I did. I I. Uh, and uh, it wasn't a huge lottery, I think. It was only like, I don't know, half a million or something. <laughs> not huge. <laughs> but it wasn't the billions or whatever crazy numbers that are out there now. So let's just say you're one of those, and it's not a trick question. I'm not going to decry the fact that you played the lottery or bought a ticket or something like that, especially if you share your winnings with me. But anyway, uh, that's, um, so here's the deal. Um, well, what would you do? with let's, let's go higher than that um five million you won the lottery your numbers line up or whatever it is would you would you share it with your family would you share the news let's start there <laughs> okay some of you a nervous chuckle i'm not sure i want to talk about it you know uh would you share it with friends um would you would you <laughs> well here's one for you. Would you tithe? <laughs> okay, I uh, I know a man that had thoroughbred racehorses and he promised the winnings of one of his favorites to Grace Point. And it it left the board with some interesting conversations. You know, is that dirty money or what <laughs> you know? And my dad was alive then, he says, run horsey, run. <laughs> I like his theology. Way to go, Dad. Um, so, um, here's another. Let's go deeper with, okay, you got $5 million suddenly. Didn't expect it. Uh, would you view that $5 million, how would you view it? Would you view it as a blessing? Would you view it as a burden? Or, do you view it as a test? Interesting. I thought th- my way through. I spent a little time on all three of those possibilities. Um, next scenario. What is your go-to? When I say go-to, it's the thing you do without a lot of thought. It's it's like when you hear of something or see something, your go-to explanation for sickness, for disease, for poverty, or countless other calamities. Now think about, you just catch news of that. What's your go-to? You don't have to think about it and think a correct thought. It's just in the moment you're thinking, well. And, and you may not even say it to anybody, but it's something that you think about. Do you tend to view such things? I'll put it out there a ways as deserved, or even a consequence? That means there's a condition precedent to what just happened. That's what consequence is. You were sowing this and you reap that. Um, If someone is truly, you have to put my words in quotes, truly a victim, of hunger, or birth defect, or divorce. What I mean by that is not have you been divorced? Have you were you completely, com- totally, in every way a victim? In that, what words come to mind when you explained when you explained things like that? I mean, I, a uh, birth defect. undeserved, I would call, all that I just mentioned, undeserved hardship. Okay? Uh, Now, you don't need to admit this last answer to this question, um, but do you sometimes suspect when you hear something like that, and it's in every way unsettling to you, but do you sometimes suspect in that that the person telling you has a certain even little amount of culpability in what they're going through. Okay, now, you know, there's, there's different directions. I want, you to, I want you to chew on these. As some of you are writing them down quickly, and you can go online like some are joining us today and, and uh, get them again, but uh, careful questions. How true was what I just said about Job's friends. They looked at him. They saw horrific displays of, of wretched uh, sores and affliction. The report was almost unreadable. It makes breaking news look like a joke, it was because it was breaking news. While the first person's reporting calamity, interrupting him came another person with more calamity. And that's how it reads in the early chapters. It's terrible. On top of that, he breaks out in the most horrific. I I had part of my sickness this week, some cold sores. And, you know, I thought of going to the store and getting some makeup so you wouldn't be distracted by that. So I'll just hold my finger here and we'll keep going, okay? (laughs) But... The, the sores that he had were everywhere. He scraped at them because of the gnawing itch they brought. So it's a terrible situation. Um, here's uh, a fact. The friends of, of Job, uh, there were three mentioned. Perhaps that's all he had. Maybe he was that abandoned. Everybody left him in his condition. Elipaz was one of them. He was the first one mentioned, and he described a common belief when explaining Job's suffering. You don't have to turn there because we all kind of know the Job story well, well enough to just hear these words. But it's, it's a belief, what I'm going to read to you, out of the fourth chapter when Eliphaz first appears with the other two. And it's a, it's a view, it's a belief that has existed actually throughout the ages. And many hold this belief today. Maybe some of us have this belief. Here's what his friend said. I'm quoting from chapter 4, verses 7 to 9. Stop and think was the beginning. In other words, Job, you're scratching, you're 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 in agony. Stop and think. Who being innocent has ever perished? I have an answer to that. But Eliphaz was bringing it up. Where were the upright ever destroyed? Give me one example is what he's saying. As I have observed, he continues, Those who plow evil and those who sow trouble reap it. And he finishes, at the breath of God, they perish. At the blast of his anger, they are no more. End quote. Verse 9. It's a guy saying, what you're going through, you had coming to you. He's just more bold than most of us. Such a belief is known today as divine retribution. It's a a doctrine taught in many churches, believed among many followers of Jesus. It assumes that God, listen now, blesses those who are faithful to him. And he punishes those who aren't, who sin. You can see where this is going. You know, a, a load is easy, burden is light. Not a chance. I'm not done. Our experiences often bear this out. In fact, if you were to ask a mature believer... Just go talk to somebody that's been young and now they're old and they've never seen the righteous forsaken. Psalm 37. There's a lot of them in this room. My dad was one of them. My mom was one of them. My grandparents. These are people that walk with Jesus, got hit by a whole bunch of hurricanes and kept walking. Boom. Okay, so um, go to one of these mature believers and, and ask them what they think of this theology of divine retribution. And they would likely affirm this. Without a big reaction, they would say, well, you know what? The truth is, things tend to turn out better when we follow God's ways. How's that for a mature statement? It's true. Yeah. Galatians 6, 7. You've got the Bible behind you on that. God causes all things to work together for the good. Finish the verse. Yeah, of those who are called according to his purpose. Now, ask the writer um, of Psalm 73. I want you to turn there right now. We're going to end up in the New Testament in a minute, maybe an hour, but we'll, we'll get there. Psalm 73, would you just flip the page there? Okay, uh, the one that wrote this, his name's Asaph. He would be on the stage today. He would be the Kelly, let's call, it, call him. He would be the worship leader, and he was in that day of the temple. Asaph was his name. And you can't miss something, uh, a troubling conclusion that came to his soul maybe some of you have this conclusion, so you'll, it'll resonate with you. Um, it's verse 1. Surely God is good to Israel to those who are pure in heart. That was a statement of his belief. If you asked Asaph, I said the same question of a senior saint, you know, somebody mature in God. He would say, well, here's, here's my starting point. Surely God is good to Israel to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, notice what he follows, verse 2, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant. Verse 3 seems weird all by itself, but finish verse 3. When I saw the prosperity of the wicked, it did a number on me. I'm infusing those words. Verse 4, they have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They're free from common human burdens. They're not plagued by the stuff that plagues me, is what he's saying. Human ills. That's what he witnessed. Verse 1 is what he believed, verse 2 through 5 is what he had witnessed. And I'm just going to call that a tough pill to swallow. There's a reason I find my way to this conversation with a lot of people. Because they feel that way. They think God is good to Israel, and he is, and to those who are pure in heart, and he is, and it will, over time, it will turn out usually better for those of us that surrender to Jesus and Seek him first in our lives. But the verse doesn't end there, nor does this psalm end there. Um, If you read a little later, same psalm, which is I love the integrity of being able to tell you this. Go to verse 12. This is what he continues, the wicked are like, always free of care, they go on amassing wealth. That's a hard thing to admit. And then he says, verse 13, so um, surely in vain, what's that mean in normal speak? I've wasted my time. That's what he's saying. I've wasted my time keeping a pure heart and having hands that are innocent. I've washed my hands in innocence. All day long, I've been afflicted. Every morning brings new punishments. Drop down to verse 16. When I tried to get this in my head, you, you reading with me? That's why you're going to love this psalm. When I tried to understand all of this, it troubled me deeply. Until, verse 17 needs to be circled, the first word of verse 17 in your Bible. Until. So if you got that vexing thing going on in your heart, because it just doesn't make sense. I'm walking well, and I'm getting a shaft, comes the plaintiff voice of the psalm. Till I entered the sanctuary of God, and then I gained some understanding of the ones that seemed to have it all, and I understood their final destiny. Um, many of us carry aversion of this struggle that stabs in our hearts. Maybe you showed up with it today. Maybe this is a desperate football season. Fourth quarter, long shot. uh, The season's riding on the outcome. Because you've tried to walk well, and you see others that haven't tried to walk well, and it's working well. It's a problem. Sky Sky Jathani, this book, writes this. Ancient Jewish culture was plagued by this belief rooted in the understanding and its understanding of who was blessed. At that time, the time of Jesus, he's referring to, most believed that, just do a self assessment. I did it when I read this. Most believed the healthy, powerful, rich, respected, and educated were clearly, finish the sentence, favored by God. The logic was simple. If you look good, it's because you must be good. And God has blessed you for your goodness, for your religious devotion. Still quoting Jethani. The opposite was also, also thought to be true. If your life looked bad... It must be because you are bad. And God has cursed you for your badness, your sinfulness. You don't have to show me your hand, but I can tell most of you are sitting on the front row right now. Because you, you, you may not feel all of that, but you sure know people that do. I want us to do what this series promises. What if Jesus was serious? Well, you got to go to the Gospels, right? So we're going to go click, click, click—three just quick reads and takeaways—and uh, I think you'll get your answer. Who does Jesus bless? So the first stop, go to Luke chapter 13. So flip clear over into the New Testament. It's the third of fourth four Gospels. Luke chapter 13. Some obscure stories, uh, not very well known. You have to do extra biblical research to find some sense of where were these? When did this happen? How did it look? But Jesus gives us enough, and Luke records enough for us to make sense without all that add on stuff right now. I did it, trust me. But if we take, um, so first statement here see if our view of those blessed by God. As a result of this, and then a time over in John, and then a time in Matthew, we'll finish. See your answer. The first, Luke 13, verse 1. There was some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. These people are worshiping, and Pilate um, killed them. And that's on their minds. So they ask. And Jesus answered. Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? So good. I tell you no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. He switches examples. Verse 4. Or those 18 who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them? Do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? That didn't get crushed by the tower, is his inference. I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Here's a principle. Some people die for doing wrong some people don't. It's not just an observation. It's a truth Jesus is teaching here. Jesus identifies two tragedies back to back. Both were understood by folks living in that day as divine judgments against bad people. In other words, we don't know all the details of the lives of these people who were killed by Pilate or of the Victims of the tower that fell on them, crushing them. We don't know all the details, but we can make a good assumption. They must have been bad. Because we're still alive and they aren't. So do you see the logic? It's simple logic. So that's the, that's the logic here. Um, and so they, Jesus addresses the first statement. Did this happen because they were worse sinners? He asks it twice, verse 2, and again, verse 4. Did they happen that way? The common answer was yes, of course that happened that way. And Jesus' emphatic answer is, well, see verse 3, I tell you no. Do you see the exclamation mark at the end of no? That's not a soft no. That's a No. And and it's not the only time he says it. Verse 5, he says the same thing. I tell you, no. Um, He doesn't say this. This is me being a lousy preacher, but um, dumb idea, he could have said. Bad theology. But I fought it. have two. And notice please, without commentary, Jesus uses both of these we'll agree, they're tragedies to implore the people asking. Today, those of us listening to implore them to, verse 3 and verse 5 says it, repent. He brings this up to say, you know, we can't, there's no gain And going there. But there is a takeaway. Get personal with yourself. Repent. So, some people die. And they die for doing wrong. And some people die and didn't do anything wrong. I want you to... I told you we would move quickly. Second stop, John chapter 9. John chapter 9, and some about 40 of you that remember our time in Jerusalem and in Israel will remember the Pool of Siloam. Very cool. It's at the end of Hezekiah's tunnel, and it's where this story unfolds. Let's pick up verse 1. As Jesus went along, he saw a man blind, From birth, his disciples asked him, "Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind?" When you read something like that, you need to spend a half hour thinking about the theology behind those words. It's really a good thought. It's really revealing thought, is what I mean. Okay. Look at Jesus' response. Mine shows up in red uh, writing. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. And after saying this, a little gross for teenagers, if you're reading this. After saying this, maybe for us grown-ups too, he spit on the ground and made some mud with the saliva and put it on the man's eyes. I don't know why he didn't just go, hey, you can see now, blank. But there are groups that have actually made this a method. Not not here at Grace Point. No, we... we, we <clears throat> um, anyway... Um <clears throat> Verse 7, go, he told this blind man with this salve on his eyes. Go and wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man, look at this, the man went and washed and came home seeing. He was sent he was on a mission he can talk about that the rest of his life and i would have too you talk about something as dramatic as that and this man had a story to tell some people listen here's the principle are born with handicaps a mystery that can bring god Even Jesus' disciples, verse 2, reveals, sadly, uh, that they their belief, an incorrect view of this man's blindness, does it not? Okay, Jesus, look, there's an assumption in the question. He's blind. Was it something he did or his parents? And Jesus would say, neither. Uh, there's a third option here. That's what he's saying here. Jesus' answer was uh, verse 3, neither the man nor his parents, and he tells that the man's blindness and gift of sight is for showing and telling the, I love verse 3 to 7 there, it's the power of God. Everybody's going to go, what? You used to have one of those striped canes to get around, or a, a, a sight dog, or or. I mean, what? It it was a time to talk. And boy, was it. The rest of this chapter is people talking from neighbors to the Pharisees. You talk about blowing the circuit board with the Pharisees, unbelievably. Even his parents, even the man himself. But I want you to flip to verse, let's go to verse 24 and just pick up how this exchange just unfolded. Instead of just going, wow, that's just so cool. He did what to your eyes? Man, that's neat. I, I, <clears throat> I'm not blind, but I don't see real clearly. Maybe maybe some of that will work for me. This is an adventure in missing the point, right? This is like, you're kidding me. You're going to get in a fist fight over what this represents? So, Verse 24, The second, a second time. They summoned the man who had been blind. They, as the Pharisees, are the Pharisees. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said, since you haven't been, was the inference. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, well, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Sounds like a song we sing, right? Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I have told you already, and you do not listen. Um, That's not a way to build friendships, but uh, you decide. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? If you're a Pharisee, that's a really not good thing to say or to hear. (laughs) when they hurled insults, then they hurled insults at him to shut him up. You're this fellow's disciple, aren't you? We are disciples of Moses. Do you see the pecking order here? You're of him. We're of Moses, right? We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this guy, we we don't know where he even came from. Stay with me. The man answered, now that is remarkable. (laughs) I just love this guy. He's probably not been to seminary or has any good answers. He's just like, hold on a sec. That's kind of crazy. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. There it is again. Who does God bless? Who does he not bless? Sinners. Man, that puts a lot of us outside of his blessing, doesn't it? How many of you have been a week without sinning? Raise your hand. Raise it tall and proud. Raise it really proud right now so we can certify that you're a sinner because you're proud. Uh, Anyway, um, so, (laughs) okay, so verse 32. No one has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God... He could do nothing. To this, the Pharisees replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. I have no idea what he did in his mother's womb, but it had to be bad. (laughs) How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. That's what you do when you can't answer somebody's question. Just just kick them out. You're beneath us. We don't even want to give you the time of day. Let's finish. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, And when he found the man, he said, do you believe in the son of man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. I just love that. Jesus said, you have now seen him. What a great statement. Seen him. I've taught a Bible study for a long time. uh, Filled with elderly, beautiful elderly people. And um, there's new people each time I'm there, and uh, some of the others have turned for home. And it's in a community near here. And uh, there's this dear woman that is uh, uh, visually impaired. She's she's been blind for I think I think for her life. And and I sometimes in my excitement when I'm teaching them and I'm I'm just going, y'all just circle that word. Check it out. Somebody t- you know. Take a look. Take a close look at that word. And she would just sit there quietly in the front table saying, I can't see. <laughs> and I, I'm going, no, no, no. It's in verse 13. Before I, you know, hello. Wake up, pastor. Uh, and I'm like, no, check it out. Seriously, it's right there. It's, every version has that word, whatever I was talking about. And she goes, and it wasn't this passage. It was another passage. And I just go, don't you? It's so cool. She goes, I, "I'm, I'm blind. I can't see. Want to get away? <laughs> I mean, this dear saint, she just, anyway, I always think of that. But here, it's a play, on, it's not just a play on words, it's a truth. You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. And the man said, as you could pr- imagine and predict, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see. Will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, What? Are we blind too? It's about the best insight of the day right there. Verse 41, Jesus said, If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, oh, you're guilt. I want you to take this to heart when uh, you have a conversation with your life group or your meal buddies or whatever later today. I want you to, um, how do we view people who are afflicted and suffering? Because it comes out of this exchange here. How do we view such people? Can God's favor or disfavor actually be seen? That's where I found myself this week. Hmm. Is it really possible for me, myopic me, to actually see God's favor? Yes. Maybe so. I want, I want you to ponder. I want you to talk it out with people that can say, well, how do you see it that way? Why do you see it like that? Here's another related one. Can God's favor or disfavor be seen always? Or never. When you have your answer, tell the tell the widow who had two little coins that worth that were coins you would you wouldn't even bend over to pick one up. Most of us. And Jesus said of that woman. Um, to a group of people that probably thought, yeah, yeah you know, you're broke for a reason. You No one's given, not a single person walked by the box has given more than this dear woman who gave it all. Our story's told in two of the four Gospels. It's worth worth a look. So a third stop, and we'll wrap it up here. Go back to the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5. And uh, Jesus is describing, this gets right to the heart of my message, my message title, Who does Jesus bless? The answer is God, Jesus, blesses everyone. Verse 43, Jesus' words, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. This sermon is not complete if we don't keep reading. Your Father in heaven, he causes his son to rise on the earth. be there. I'm just whispering out loud reactions I've had. For real? It's not how I would have written this. To rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain, which is a good thing in this context, on the righteous. Yeah, there we go. That's what I'm talking about. And the what? What? The unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will that be? What will it get you? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? If you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Don't even pagans do that? And then just a simple little wrap up statement in verse 48 Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. God blesses everyone. Let's. Can I. Can I Can we agree on a couple of things here? Because you're as shocked as I am if I read it with the kind of wrestle that's intended here. Jesus gives big blessings. Sunshine and rain. And he gives them to the righteous. And most of us are tempted to do this right now. Great sermon. That answers our question. Just who does Jesus bless? The righteous. Done. But wait. Jesus can almost slide his hand in here and go, no, no, no. Read the whole verse. There are two undeserving groups of people that receive from me sunshine and rain. It's there. And they've got names, labels at least, evil and unrighteous. Um, Jesus, I think, is pointing to two practical takeaways. The first, if you love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, you will be children, he says, of God who causes sunshine and reign to bless people who do not deserve blessing. Now, that's my words. I think Jesus would say, Steve, I think you overstated that. When we love on and when we pray for such people, I'm talking evil and unrighteous people, Are we not behaving more like our heavenly father? In some uncomfortable way, and that sounds weird. I'm saying I want to be like God. I want to be like Jesus. Make me more like you and less like me. And then he says, okay, so go be nice to evil and unrighteous people. Like, are we sure we got that right? Here's a conclusion. Circumstances don't paint the full picture uh, when telling who Jesus blesses. A more accurate picture is that he seems to bless those that I think most of us could come up with an explanation or a description of people who don't deserve his blessing. If I had you show me your hands right now, how many of you would say you deserve his blessing? Now in one sense I would say no, I'm a you saved a wretch like me. But somewhere inside me there's this hope. Well, yeah, if you've got scoops of blessing you're going to Give to people walking along the line I, I guess I feel like maybe I don't know maybe there's a scoop or two for me and and then I notice a person coming through the line and, and I'm thinking how did he get a scoop <laughs> what if Jesus was serious I want to say it applies to the greatest blessing of all. This message does. Eternal life. It appears that he offers salvation to more than just good people. Would you agree with that? I mean, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Whoever does not differentiate even between good and bad people. They have to turn to him. But you can't be good enough to not need him. The cross is unnecessary if that was possible. It is necessary for those of you that aren't quite good enough. But it's not for those of us that are good enough. Do you see the, the flaw there? A, and your sin isn't so bad that you can't benefit from what Jesus did in your place. Amen. It's just huge to me. These are just simple truths that just grab me. Um. And I think Jesus wants us to be grabbed by them. I want to have you tuck away your notes. I want to read words from 1 Corinthians chapter 1 at the end here. And these are words that uh, will set us up well for communion. Um, In fact, I'm going to ask the lights to come down just a little bit. And and worship team, you can come up and reset right now. It's just fine. Uh, because I want to I wanna have you hear these words um, in a translation that will connect with you. And um, it's called the Passion Translation. Brothers and sisters. So let's just say Paul is talking to a group like this. Brothers and sisters means you're in. You belong. Y- he... You, you are saved because you, Romans ten thirteen says it in one verse, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved, not almost saved, saved fully. So brothers and sisters, go back to who you were when God called you to salvation. Not many of you were wise scholars by human standards. A few, some, that's okay, but not many. Not not many of you were in positions of power. Some, but not many. Not many of you were considered the elite when when, when he called you. But God chose those whom the world considers foolish, to actually shame those who think they are wise. And God chose the puny and the powerless to shame the high and mighty. He chose the lowly and the laughable in the world's eyes, the nobodies, so that he would shame the somebodies. For he chose what is regarded as insignificant in order that he may supersede what is regarded as prominent, so that there would be no place for prideful boasting in his presence. For it is not from man that we draw our life, but from God as we are being joined to Jesus, the anointed And now Jesus is our God-given wisdom, virtue, our holiness, and our complete redemption. And this fulfills what is written, if anyone boasts, let him or her only boast in that they know God. Nothing I've said today is intended to say I don't have to be or try to be as good as I can be. But God will bless you before you get good. And, and in that, he wants you to trace the source and say, wow. Maybe the, those that, that are worst of all are the ones that start out saying, "I don't deserve sun or rain or anything in between." So why me? And Jesus, you'll you'll ask that until you hear Him say, "Because I love you, I love you." Um, there's a there's a great song that we're gonna sing, and it's uh, in three words a true description has to do with how I could be known by God, how I can be saved from my sin, how I can be promised a place for eternity with him. Even if I blow it, even if I f- fall off the wagon or leave the path or take for a time the wrong road and seem to stay there, all comes down to the fact that Jesus paid it all. He did. And as the song we're going to sing, as servers come and they're going to pass this out to you, the, the, we want you to think about those words. You'll hear them. You'll have your hands busy for a moment. But you'll hold on to the bread and the cup, and you'll, you'll remember Jesus paid it all. And therefore, all to him I owe. So service, come join me at this time and <clears throat> I um, I want you to want you to think about the the very real fact that none of us are deserving. There's a great saying in heaven someday. Two of them actually. What are you doing here? The second will be Hey, where's so and so? I think Jesus looks for people to gather around his table that are <laughs> shocked. didn't deserve this I just know I was blind and now I see thank you for inviting me Jesus thank you for blessing me and as you serve the bread and the cup hold that tightly and say thank you for giving yourself to me let's share it